Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, we are recording Contrarian's Corner for Camille. That we are. Well, hello. And I'm sorry, I'm looking at the poster right now, and it's just so... They didn't even use a good photo for like the, <laughs> the DVD cover art and the poster. It was basically they took one picture and didn't try again. Was it a Polaroid? It might as well have been. Franco's teeth are clearly like whitened in post-production on the cover. God bless it. Hello, and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, uh, joined, as always, by my co-host, the Peruvian Punisher, Julio Oliveira. <laughs> Julio, how are you doing this uh, rainy Wednesday evening? I think I've been punished more than I've punished tonight. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. This is definitely not the the way that we expected uh, January to end. We nope. We opened with Avengers Endgame, followed up with Prometheus, I guess, arguably peaked with Watchmen. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, where do we go from there? Yeah, we hit a big milestone with our 100th episode. And for this, this is a bonus episode. This will not be in the numeric uh, rankings here. We we basically just have like volumes of our podcast <laughs> at this point. Um, but we are here today to tackle the 2008 uh, comedy drama fantasy. Let me see here. Sounds accurate. Camille, starring James Franco and Sienna Miller. A movie until, I don't know, about two and a half hours ago I had <laughs> never really heard of. But uh, what's caused in all this is returning to the contrarians, a uh, friend of ours who we've had on multiple times before, the man who brought this to the table, and that's Eddie Strait. Eddie, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me and thanks for indulging me. I, I knew when you started the year with the the biggest movie of all time exactly how how the month needed to finish. <laughs> so uh, why, Camille? Mainly just because I want I want people to see it. It's uh, it's one of those things that I I watched on a whim, and it it was just so flabbergasted that such a thing could exist. And uh, I used to get a lot of mileage out of telling people about it, but it, it was one of those things where I would look like a fool because I would just crack myself up talking about it and people would just kind of roll their eyes at me. So I, I had to dial that back until I could just force people to watch it. And, and luckily you guys gave me, gave me a chance to be, or for you two to be the next victims. Just to, just to recap though, the last few times we've had Eddie here, I mean, we had him for It Follows, we had him for Sing Street, we had him from Scream 4. Hell Yeah. And uh, of course, 
Best Picture winner, Green Book. Yeah, I was I was saving that for last. Oh, okay. <laughs> and and a brief appearance for Entourage. That's right. That's right. So all different kinds of highs. <laughs> and uh, so I think that in a way, maybe subconsciously, he just wanted to go with a deep cut this time. I mean, what he's describing is a real thing. There are these <laughs> movies that kind of come in and slip through the proverbial cracks and no one else has seen it and you kind of drive yourself insane like thinking that you maybe made it up because it's so ridiculous yeah and i I also just wanted um i I wanted to pick something that i that i knew you guys hadn't seen so something where i was coming in as like the only only one uh with any sort of opinion or, or anything on it just to like the other the other times i came in you know, there was like a clear divide or like I knew where at least one of you uh, lined up on a movie, usually mm-hmm. Julio. And so the, this time it was, it was a treat to get to see both of your reactions in real time. So, yes, a movie that's going on 12 years old now, uh, starring James Franco and Sienna Miller, as I had mentioned. Also, David Carradine. Bill. God bless. Yeah. <laughs> Cowboy Bob. <laughs> Directed by Gregory McKenzie and written by Nick Puste. Uh, I'm not going to try to approach that too much more. Um, not, e- I mean, we're breaking the mold here. I mean, typically here on the Contrarians, what we like to do, we say we rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, in which we find a movie that's highly ranked and make a case for why it shouldn't be, and vice versa, find a, a lowly rotten movie and make a case for its merit. With Camille, this is completely <laughs> off the radar. The Run Tomatoes machine just completely bypassed it. There's nothing it, to rage against. It it, it found it wanting. Um, but like I told you, I, I looked it up and it doesn't have an official tomato meter score, but it does have three reviews, all rotten. Therefore, okay. <laughs> we can consider it a rotten movie. All right. So for the sake of this, we'll be arguing its merit. Yeah, we'll we'll treat it like a fresh movie, and then we'll go to real talk. Where I'm not even 100 percent sure how Eddie feels about this movie. <laughs> yeah, he he's he kept his cards pretty close to the vest throughout the the viewing of this. So let's just go ahead and get right to it. What were these critics saying about Camille? Well, like I said, only three quotes. Um, none of them fresh. What were so... these few critics <laughs> saying? The three people that watched Camille when it came out. Um, from filmcritic.com, Christopher Knoll says, disastrously misguided. From dvdtalk.com, Brian Orndorff said, it's meant to be cute and harmless, preying on romantics, but it registers more as a complete absurdity, minus the soothing touch of a capable filmmaker. And finally, Frank Gonzalez Jr. from DVD Review, the only people who might enjoy it are necrophiliacs or masochists. Either way, they have issues. I mean... He's not entirely off base with that. Okay, I, if I if I may interject, uh-oh. since I know we're lacking <laughs> in critical insight Here into we go. this movie, um, the good people of Amazon.com do have some nice user reviews. If you guys want, uh, bring it. just a little more perspective. Uh, so here um, we've got one star from somebody named Darren Van Man. Uh, he just says ridiculous movie. Moon Baby 345 says, weird, one star. <laughs> I didn't like this movie at all. It wasn't funny, and it and it was just a strange movie. I usually like James Franco. That's why I wanted to see this movie, but his character is so unlikable. The only thing I liked about this movie were the colored horses. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they were there for. That, that sums up my feelings, pretty much. 
Do you like the horses? Yes. Also worth noting, a used copy of this DVD on Amazon goes for upwards of $7.75, (laughs) which is at least one full dollar more than I paid for the Blu-ray of this. And you said you got that on... Uh, you got that um, during the lauded blockbuster going out of business sale. Yeah, it to prove like, to yourself that it was a real thing that you saw at one point. It, it may be the only movie I bought when that blockbuster was going out of out of business at the corner of Main Check and Slaughter. Man, the main purchase I remember was I got I'm still here for ninety nine cents. All right, let's get to Camille here. So our titular character Camille, played by Sienna Miller is getting married to Silas, who's played by James Franco. We kind of jump right in. It isn't It's like their wedding day. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like we're, well, we're... It starts off with her. She's, uh, I believe she's picking out her wedding dress. She's doing something. She's, she's at some sort, of, some sort of store with her mother where they, they have a conversation about the, the cushions of their tushes. <laughs> She has a cushy tushy. Yeah, just, just like mama. She's... Although we should note, the first impor- important bit of foreshadowing there, the first time we see Camille, she is like is messing around with a mannequin and takes off the wig from the mannequin's head, revealing the bald mannequin head. All right. This is the kind of stuff that you notice when you watch Camille I was about ten to times. Say, yeah, when you've seen this movie <laughs> multiple times, you're able to pick up on subtext. I was just like, what's with the water? <laughs> yeah. Water will be important to this movie because it's the opening credits is five minutes of waterfalls and... Just different bodies of water, I guess. There, there are, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there were also a few few shots of, or inserts of horses in the water that it wasn't like super obvious, but if you were, if you were like just staring at it, you would, you would have seen the It was like Brad Pitt on Fight Club, just like a flash. <laughs> it was a little, <laughs> it, it, was, it was a little uh, more lingering. So then you have James Franco, Silas, who's not excited about getting married. He's freaking out. And with good reason, because, it, I mean, it, it appears to us initially that he's never met Camille in his life. Yes. It's just there to get married It's uh, uh, as a way to get out of a jail, which is, I mean, the movie starts in Kentucky. So, I mean, yeah, I, I'm open, to, I'm open to different, different <laughs> uh, ways of life. Yeah, he's basically, you know, kind of um, a, a variation of the green card marriage. He's on parole and he's marrying her, I guess, to kind of help out his situation because her uncle's a sheriff or some shit. Yeah. So this is, there was a quote that criticized Franco for being unlikable, but I found that refreshing. I mean, James Franco, especially now, because now when you watch a movie with James Franco, it's the James Franco persona. 2008, he wasn't quite there yet, right? He wasn't, I mean, he was Harry Osborn in the Spider-Man movies. But this he had is Freaks before, and Geeks, that was about it. Right, but even then he wasn't uh, James Franco household name. So I like that this was much like uh, uh, I would say Emma Stone was a lot more interesting before she became popular when she was a supporting character in the background. Same thing. I think James Franco. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Uh, James Franco, before he blew up, he it felt like he was more willing to take chances on on roles. And uh, this is maybe the biggest chance he's taken. I don't think he's ever been this unlikable. Yeah, he really can't stand her, but she's completely blind to it. Um, but their plan is to go to Niagara Falls for their honeymoon. And the first 10 minutes of the movie is basically just their wedding. And also we pick up on the character trait, the trope, the manic pixie dream girl attribute of Camille always having a Polaroid camera that she's just 
taking pictures of people without their permission. So they saw Elizabeth Town and they found a way to improve on the Kirsten Dunst character by giving her an actual camera yes. instead of just having her mind that she had a camera. Um, do you think that this movie... Nick Puste watched that and was like, <laughs> why doesn't she have a real camera? <laughs> For shame, and then, Cameron Crowe. And then figured... You know, it's got to be quirky, so it can't be a real camera or the cell phone cameras that existed at the time. It, it's got to be this old clunky thing. Yeah, and it's it's not even like an actual Polaroid camera. It's like one of those you buy at Target that has like a Hello Kitty emblem on it. <laughs> I think that also speaks to Camille and uh, just, you know, she's she's a natural optimist and um, she likes simple things. She just likes being happy. She just wants to be happy. And what what's you know, what's what's more fun than than snapping Polaroids of, of those precious moments? So, I mean, this is a, a an obscure movie, basically. Uh, we, we've established that. And yet, I think that maybe had a cultural mark more powerful than any of us knew before the movie started. Because building up Niagara Falls as this place of utter bliss where a marriage and a honeymoon would, would come to fruition... That's basically, what, season six of The Office? <laughs> so we yeah, know we who was watching... <laughs> I mean, I feel comfortable saying that the writer, the office writers just straight up stole it because they said, hey, there's this movie that nobody Nobody's saw. Seen. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to cherry pick what we need. They built up Pam and Jim's relationship so much and they were stuck. They didn't know how to pay it off. Yeah, not to spoil too much, but they steal the whole them going on the maiden mist at the end and <laughs> yeah. professing their love to one another. Uh, so a bad sign, an omen, as it were. As they leave the church that they were wed in, there's no rice being thrown, which my understanding is that's like a. I mean, she's she says it. She, you know, she wants to go back, and and she says it's good luck. But her uncle, kind of foreseeing the bigger picture, just kind of scoots her along and, and tells her to just go go on to her honeymoon. And they give him a a motorbike with a side cart for their voyage to uh, Niagara Falls. I guess just completely eliminating any possibility of them taking a highway on the way there. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about more that. <laughs> it, I, I think they were setting him up to succeed though, and give him the scenic route and learn more about themselves and more about the countryside. Well, also Frank was supposed to be kind of going uh, low key on this because his parole means that he can't leave, right? He can't leave the, the town. Yeah. Or the I think part of the plan is like, he's going to go to Niagara Falls to escape to Canada. Right now, as we're discussing it, it makes it sound like it's really quirky, and like that's the kind of movie that would just just grate on you because of how quirky it is. You know, this girl with the camera and the little motorcycle with the sidecar and all the stuff. But when you're watching it, it doesn't really. It feels all of a piece. It, mm -hmm. uh, I think they do a really good job of just establishing the tone early on. Yeah, and on the way there, it's you know, they, there's a rest stop and there's they're already fighting, but she Camille still has this, you know, fever dream or. Um, Great White Buffalo, this thing of that once we get to Niagara Falls, everything's going to be okay. She just thinks once they get there together, for whatever reason, their honeymoon will just reveal their true love to one another and everything will be fine. I mean, it's it's pretty cool because I don't think that I have seen the beginning of a bad marriage represented on screen uh, very often. You usually see them as a happy couple that then later becomes uh, uh, a couple that doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. But this movie starts as a couple that is not working from the moment they get married. Uh, so that's already something refreshing and in the way that, I mean, what would you call this? What was it like? Romance, fantasy, comedy, drama? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's all those things, but from a different point of view than what you're used to. 
As the journey continues to Niagara Falls, they're riding uh, on the bike. She's no longer on the side cart. She's basically behind him with her arms wrapped around his waist. And, you know, probably not the smartest thing to do, but the, they're in a dire straits emotionally right now. She just takes off her ring and just is like playing with it in her hands while they're riding. And she drops it and says, um, Silas, I dropped my ring. And this, of course, leads to him. Uh, I guess he swerves over into the left lane. There's oncoming semi. He swerves off and big wreck that everything goes flying through the air, including both of them. Slow motion. You know, credit director uh, McKenzie there because he, you know, obviously they're not working with with a very large budget. So, you know, they can't go out all out and shoot like a proper car accident. So they have they have to milk the moment in another way to to get across the the point of like just how bad this this accident really is and and watching them fly in slow motion and their their wedding tux and and wedding dress kind of gives you a moment to like really let that sink in that man this this is supposed to be the best day of their lives and now this is happening and she's in rough shape she's bleeding and franco yeah bleeding with no no visible wounds just blood yeah on her i always assume that people are bleeding from the ears when that happens (laughs) (laughs) it would make sense because pretty much all of her blood is like right on her collarbone so if it just like Right out of her ear onto her shoulder. And Franco just goes into full-on James Dean mode here of just like... Does he scream Camille in this one? No, he just whispers it, right? (laughs) Yeah, but he takes off running and he does, you know, he argues with the local home that he stumbles into about the phone and you're tearing me apart. (laughs) And then he calls 911 and realizes what he's done when he calls 911. Doesn't he like pull the phone out of the wall? Yeah, and that's like a... You know, this is a good like time capsule, and also I think a pretty strong condemnation of, of white privilege. Because you know, it, can you imagine a world, well, you know, the current day or even twelve years ago, where a white man covered in blood bursts into some stranger's house screaming, "I killed her," and somehow <laughs> not only walks out of that house unarrested, but the family just offers him money. And shoes him out the door. And lets them use their phone. But that lady was completely unprepared. And uh, uh, this is after he also murdered their television. Yes. And their phone. But he, I guess he just, cooler heads prevail. He just walks out and goes back to the scene of the crime. And it looks like uh, Camille's made a pretty speedy recovery. She's uh, by like a creek bed or yeah, something. Yeah, she, she went down to the creek to wash the blood off. Okay, so so at this point in the movie, oh, although you, you did, uh, we did skip over a very, very important detail, which is after, I think it's right after Silas runs to the house, there's, there's one more shot of Camille laying in the grass, kind of looking slightly angelic, even though, you know, she's a very obviously uh, in bad shape. And then there's, there's this, the glow that, you know, the, and there's like, oh a, yeah, I forgot all about that. A golden glow to her. And now I, you know, what do you guys think that means? Is that like her spirit leaving her, her spirit, spirit, like strengthening or uh, just a lens flare? <laughs> there is a fair share of lens flares there here, are but, some lens but flares. that's what I was going to ask you actually, because maybe you remember from when the first time you watched it, Eddie, and I don't know about you, Alex, but at this point in the movie, I hope you remember the first time you watched this out <laughs> forever. Did you, uh, did you think that she had died and then were surprised when Franco finds her again and she's just up? Oh yeah. Walking I, around? I thought, she, I thought she was dead. I thought we were, you know, I, I thought, that was her soul leaving. 
Yeah, I guess that's probably what I thought. I was just very confused how she was just back up and at him. Were you just letting the movie tell you the story without trying to second guess it? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I I guess Sienna Miller is a, a victim of her own success because I just assumed that she wasn't dead because it's Sienna Miller and she's on the poster. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, the, the movie, it's, you know, it rocks a very tight rope where it shows you a lot of like, weird things and a, a lot of confounding lines of dialogue and imagery and... It's like it's begging you to to ask that question, like what, where is this going? And, and but you have to fight that impulse because where, wherever you think it's going, Camille has something else in store for you. <laughs> I mean, the I don't know if the, the theatrical poster was like this, but in the DVD cover, she has she's wearing the red wig. Mm-hmm. So I knew we were okay at least until she puts the wig on. Oh yeah, I mean the the theatrical poster was the same because when you get an image that good, you you know. <laughs> You just ride that bad boy. So she's fine at the creek bed. They begin hitching to, um, I said Wichita Falls. It'd be a, a much more boring place to spend your honeymoon. They begin hitching to Niagara Falls. Uh, the local PD, though, is obviously they're going to investigate a fucking car crash. and Yeah, and reports of some man screaming, I killed her. They interrogate the home that was broken into, and then they survey the, the damage at the scene. And what's the big piece of evidence the license plate from the his multiple ids and like their their uh, money honey, honeymoon <laughs> yeah their their uh, honeymoon cash that that they have so it looks you know to to somebody who doesn't know silas in his situation it looks like he's preparing to to flee his probation flee justice which cops don't like that in america yeah but that is it also just speaks to how quickly they are to blame somebody without any real proof. I mean, this is all circumstantial evidence, yeah. so to speak. Even when he went into this house, you could easily turn that story into somebody who had just been in... He comes in covered in blood, obviously shaken up, and you could you could tell that same story and paint him as a victim, but instead they instantly try to blame him. The worst thing he does in that visit is destroy the TV, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. kind of that lady's fault because she was attacking him first. I mean, she was uh, literally poking the bear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, hold on. So going back to the thing we mentioned a couple of minutes ago about trying to get ahead of, you know, taking that chance and getting ahead of the script. So at this point, did you think we were heading for like some sort of legal courtroom drama? No, because uh, of the red wig. The red wig promises adventure. So when I saw that uh, picture, see, I, uh, I should have <laughs> I should have taken the the cover art out of the the Blu-ray box. Yeah, I thought like some Bonnie and Clyde shit was. Yeah, I was. I would think it was more likely that they were commence. just going to be on the run from the police for the rest of the movie, which is kind of what happens. But it's, it's that's not it. I mean, I wouldn't reduce the plot of the movie to just saying that it's a a, a chase movie from here on. Yeah. It's not even a road trip movie. It's it's all of that and more. Uh, <laughs> but even the the money that supposedly he's taken from this woman he didn't take it she just she, put it she in, says, in his Here, pocket take the money right and yet somehow the cops are chasing him as, as if he was more of a criminal than he actually is i mean his worst crime so far is just not loving his wife being a rebel without a cause that doesn't love his wife <laughs> uh they're staying at some shitty motel that they wander into down the road and I believe this is like Camille's having these weird dreams that she doesn't really know what to make of it. She dreams of a horse mm-hmm. yeah. in well, water. Um, I mean, you guys, I, I assume this is shared knowledge, but for the, the sake of the listeners, you, you guys know what horses represent, right? What's that? Halloween too. 
Well, aside from that, this was, I mean, not even gonna Michael, fight I mean, response. Zombarelli probably stole that idea from, from this movie because I, I assume he was in production when this one came out. But, you know, no, horses, they're a, a universal symbol of um, freedom, overcoming obstacles. This is what I got from a Google search, not <laughs> not anything I really knew. But, well, yeah. that's crazy because uh, I I like that she's the one having that that dream and not Franco. Because yeah. Franco is the one that really feels trapped, right? He's yeah. trapped in this loveless marriage, sort of like if there's love, it's only one way. And uh, he's on parole. The cops are breathing down his neck. I mean, at this point, I don't think, I mean, think he knows that he's actively being chased, but he mm-hmm. knows that his parole officer basically, as soon as he fucks up with, with his knees, he's going back to jail. He knows the walls are closing in. Right. So yeah. it's, it's he, impressive he remembers, that he's not the one. He remembers the uncle punching him on his wedding day before he, he sent him out. Was to that like a... Did he punch him in the stomach? I oh, okay. Assume. That wasn't like a, a nut punch. It wasn't a wiener punch. He <laughs> just goes for the liver. Didn't, didn't give him the poly bleaker. He didn't. <laughs> that venture land. He didn't say, that's my purse. I don't know you. <laughs> uh, One last thing on the horse the horse bit. that It also does. I know you said it, it was a good thing that Franco and Silas wasn't having the, the horse visions. And, and I definitely agree. But That'll be too on the nose. It, it is. But you can, you know, we can still apply that metaphor to him because, you know, he's in search of freedom. Of course, like his vision of freedom is is not going to end up the way he thinks it is. So it's it, it sets that up. And in, in right. Freedom horses. is not on the Canadian border. Freedom yeah. is within himself once he learns to love again. Yes. <laughs> well, again, I would say just learns to love. To love to begin with. Well, I don't know. It's, yeah. it, there is a whole movie just screaming to be made of and of, james it, franco riding horses <laughs> well james franco before camille or J- how did he end up in prison uh what happened to him there why did he come out as such yeah. an angry yeah young they man? mentioned one Where of his arrests shitty tattoos <laughs> yeah they, they mentioned one of his arrests but we don't but they do mention that uh, the uncle mentions if if he gets arrested that will be his third strike so you know the arrest they mentioned of like him robbing you know some some petty theft um, where he apparently looked good on the the video, the surveillance camera, but we don't we don't know if that was his first strike or his second, and and we more importantly we don't know what the other strike is, which I assume is more serious. Well, there's one that uh, at one point later in the movie he mentions, uh, you know, Scott Glenn mentions that Franco stole a microwave for his mom, mm-hmm. oh, and even that, he says, yeah, "Oh, that yeah, was yeah. kind of sweet." So to me, it just That's seems right. like a guy that was. Breaking the law, but not really harming anyone, and then yeah, you know, he had good intentions, right? And then he got thrown in jail, and he came out transformed, and now yeah, he's just the, angry. It, it kind of hardened him and soured him on on the idea of being good. You know, if, if he wondering if he could even be loved or was capable of love. Yeah, but see, the movie doesn't spoon feed you this. You know, this is nope. not Todd Phillips's Camille. <laughs> this is just it, it drops some information and lets you put it all together. You got to keep up with it. Uh, keep up with the journey as Camille and Silas continue onward. They go clothes shopping. They stay at some really nice hotel again, all on their trek to Niagara Falls. It's at this point in time, we're kind of weaving back and forth between uh, clips, excuse me, of the parole officer and the local PD. And I guess they're just going off. They just think he killed her. Right. Because there's no, they're just, there's not like it's an, an overwhelming amount of episode, uh, <laughs> evidence, excuse me, but yeah, they're just kind of 
we're just gonna say this is what happened, and if we get proven wrong, that's what happened. I mean, it really is a condemnation of how once you've gone to prison once, you're fucked. They're not gonna believe you. You're automatically suspect number one when something goes wrong, yeah. or even if something hasn't gone wrong, <laughs> they're still gonna assume that you did something shady. Do you guys think that the, the uh, semi that runs them off the road was a real? Or, or a metaphor because it's, it's just it's, Franco veering off the road. Fuck my life. Right. Just... Yeah, because after they wreck, I mean the the truck honks, but then like doesn't stop at all. And, I mean, I assume like if you if you're driving and you see somebody just you know fly away in slow motion, that you would at least stop to see. Well, it know, depends stop, how much you've drank before yeah. uh, <laughs> before you got in the truck. But it, and during this viewing, it did make me wonder if that was a real real thing that that made them swerve or if it was representative of the the obstacles they're about to overcome like like the horses so they're at this nice hotel camille goes swimming james franco uh, at this point also her hair is falling out so he figures out she's dead but he's afraid to tell her and then they end up uh she sees this blue horse and we all think she's fucking crazy maggie yes and they stumble upon this old rodeo cowboy who's played by David Carradine. Yeah, Cowboy Bob. Well, she's already met Cowboy Bob at Briefly. back at the diner um, pre-accident. Probably but- the biggest gift that this movie gave me was teasing me with David Carradine early on in that uh, diner scene. And then because I know what the career of David Carradine is like in, in his later years, I thought that was it. I thought that they got him just to have a big name to put up there, like they do in most of the movies that he's done, you know, post-Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but that he was going to be there for one scene and then go away. You know, nope. he, no, no, no. He comes back and then he's just maybe uh, probably the most important character outside of Franco and, and Sienna Miller. He probably know, just the hung around and they just were like, well, I guess we'll just figure out more things to do with him. <laughs> he also um, clues us in in his first scene. Um, uh, that was when I went to go look up what, what horses represent because his, his memorable line in that first conversation when it comes to horses, I'm kind of a philosopher. He's got that's such a David Carradine. Line. He's got his top girl though, Maggie. She's the blue one, and she's a, an old gal that he comments, you know, should have ridden off into the sunset long ago, but for some reason sticking around. I had, I'll fully admit the movie was ahead of me here. I I was once I, it clicked, I I was kind of embarrassed that I hadn't figured out sooner that the blue horse that Maggie is supposed to represent Camille. And, yeah. and, and you know, David Carradine can't let go of this horse that's dead and sick, and he just keeps painting her blue, <laughs> yeah. refusing to let her go. And then, just the same way that Franco, throughout the movie, eventually, he keeps embellishing Camille so that she doesn't look like a corpse, but but she's dead, and he's just kind of refusing to let her go. I thought that the movie was going to be about David Carradine learning from Franco to let go, <laughs> But that's not quite what happened, which I love because it surprised me the way that the David Carradine subplot turned out. But Carradine, Franco, and Camille all go to lunch or something, and Franco comments on the the smell of Camille because she's dead. So I guess it's implied that she's decaying. I guess Carradine. I mean, it's more than implied. Her her hair is falling out at this point. So <laughs> that's we, true. We know, right? And Carradine can't smell it because he's been around horses for so yeah. long. Yeah, uh, his exact quote is, "I can't smell anything but horses." So <laughs> she goes back to the hotel, and Franco wants to assist with the situation. So this is when they go out and steal the uh, formaldehyde, yes. and uh, the they go on a bit of a crime spree because they break into a couple of places. That's they- a spinoff that I would happily watch. That uh, James Franco, David Carradine. 
life of crime, but they're just going <laughs> yeah. around committing a the like, mild, mild larceny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they take some uh, formaldehyde from a funeral home. They steal a red wig from a uh, beauty salon. They go back, and at this point, all of Camille's hair has fallen out, and she says, you know, I'm a human being. <laughs> and <laughs> James Franco <laughs> serenades her, and she just lays in bed while he slowly, like, uh, it's the, the player when he's getting uh, his massage and his treatment and everything, but instead it's just like a, a rag dipped in formaldehyde that he's just slowly caressing her with. She's naked. Yeah. It's... it's uh... And bald. This, Taste, it, tastefully yeah. done hiding the nudity. Yes, and, yeah. And, it's the sexiest uh, scene in the movie. It, uh, it's also the most cleverly like framed and, and blocked shot because, you know, aside from working around their budgetary limitations, they also had to work around, uh, I assume, contract clauses and also uh, the PG-13 rating restrictions. And, and the truth is, you don't <laughs> the NPA need... was just breathing down their throat here. <laughs> yeah, they didn't give them a Titanic. No. Um, it's also the sweetest moment so far between these two because so far we've seen them just her loving him and him just rejecting her and being really mean to her. The closest that he came to showing some sort of concern is when he realized that she was still alive. He hugged her. He seemed relieved that she wasn't dead. But up till now, I've been wondering, does he actually have feelings for her? Or does he just feel guilty about the fact that he might have killed her? And now no. he's just trying to do what he can to to atone. But... It's really here, up to the audience to decide, but yeah, he's he's really sweet here. Yeah, it's 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 really a moment where you believe that maybe even if there wasn't a connection before here, there is something growing between the two of them. Uh, they have the conversation. He tells her she's dead here, and she's he's just kind of helping her get clean and and whatnot. And then uh, I believe it's the next morning the police show up, and he leaves behind her body, and they come up and take it, thinking you know she's dead and. But she wakes up and runs away with him. He's waiting for her on whatever floor they get off on. They take yeah, off he running does some together. Nifty, some nifty moves, escaping uh, out the balcony and dropping down. Very, very crafty, crafty work for somebody who I assume has no parkour training. Well, he he was uh, the Green Goblin briefly. Yes. Yeah, but they had the budget to have stuntmen and computers <laughs> do all the work for him. There, he telling me that wasn't James Franco on the glider. I refuse to believe that. On their retreat, they're shot at, which eventually we discover during this scuffle. Another thing that would you know, prove prove very uh, very salient on the filmmaker's behalf, just a, a cop opening fire on people fleeing from him, posing no threat. Yes. Yep. I, I was going to comment on that. He just is like, freeze, and then just empties the clip at him in a public hotel. I know. There's bystanders Riddled everywhere. with people <laughs> and children. That cop... The cop that does the shooting, like he looks like he's not even old enough to apply for a library card or a library (laughs) card. Uh, Needs to go check out a book on gun safety. So they they hitch a ride in the back of David Carradine's horse wagon. Can you all explain to me? James Franco just has like tattoos appearing at this point. Yeah. So early in the movie, we see his his first tattoo, a very very tasteful thing on his arm that says "lucky." Um, but as as the movie <laughs> it's goes ironic. on, yeah, yeah. As the movie goes on, there of course are more shirtless shots of James Franco. But each time you'll notice uh, different tattoos popping up. Like there's a there's a skull that pops up on his chest, a, a snake on a forearm. 
I, I couldn't, I didn't catch the others, but I, I know there was just more ink each time he, he lost his shirt. Well, you can imagine sins. you can just, you can just write a dissertation. Uh, if you do a deep dive on the symbolism in this movie, obviously you're not going to catch it the first time around. I, I was just trying to figure out what was going on, but I, I could tell that there was extra stuff happening. I mean, it's magical realism. And at the end, you're talking about a movie where a woman dies and then comes back <laughs> minutes yeah. later, I guess, purely out of love. She basically ends up saying that really her love for him is what keeps her going. So Yeah, her her uh, exact quote is love is a powerful thing. It's the thing that keeps me going. Yeah, and this is not even I mean, it's basically unrequited love. So it's not even it's something that was mutual. So once you realize that that's what's happening, really, who knows what else is going on in the background, right? You have the multicolored horses and you have the, well, not to spoil the, the final twist, but you have the rice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like I said earlier, it, it's just kind of like the movie slowly setting things up so that when they happen, when, when crazy stuff happens, magical stuff happens, you just accept it and keep going with it. Yeah. And they are on for the ride and they end up at some, I guess it's like a county fair or something where David Carradine's next stop with his horses is. Yeah. Cowboy Bob had to make an appearance. So they're there. They get all dolled up together and county fair outfits and they have what is their first dance as a married couple because they never actually danced after the wedding. This this scene, uh, it also draws more. Uh, I know Julio mentioned earlier not catching right away the the similarity or the comparison between Camille and Maggie, the blue horse. But we get that here when we see Cowboy Bob notice a, a spot of rot on on Maggie that need, that he needs to repaint. And then uh, he he goes from that to repainting a, a bullet hole in Camille's shoulder. And, Just basically giving her a her horn. Yeah. yeah, gives her, I mean, a very unfortunate tan very bodybuilding esque tan yeah very (laughs) very trump yeah Yeah. very very orange wait way too orange but they do dance they have a kiss it's very nice and then her finger falls off yeah like no first she starts it starts raining first and so the spray tan starts coming off that freaks her out and when she tries to leave franco grabs her and then snaps her finger that's the old indie wrestler special that don't know how to use fake tan they spray tanner on him and they dump the water on their head to make their hair wet and they come out just like with it all running and looking nasty camille clearly not a pro wrestler no not, it, not, it, not a wwe level <laughs> yeah pro wrestler and Carradine, he's good at painting horses but i guess he doesn't have much practice with humans i mean he does say that pretty much all of his knowledge and everything pertains to horses so i guess it makes sense that it wouldn't quite translate when she asks him to paint over a bullet hole, how he ends up painting her entire body. Uh, this kiss, though, it's pretty epic. It's the first time we've seen them kiss in, in the movie, and this is after their wedding. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it's post wedding. Well, and it's also uh, Silas, you know, kind of building himself up to it because first he has to get over the grossness of kissing a, a walking reanimated corpse. Well, and, I think that by now he's all in. But though. now that's yeah, that's that has faded away. And now he's the love that he's building up towards his, his now wife. What a, a moral quandary for him dealing with, you know, do I really love her? Is this guilt? Is she alive? Is she dead? David Carradine's drunk again. You know, it's just, a, <laughs> it's a lot to take in and digest. Uh, that kiss is what made, what starts the rain. Cause you even, we were watching it and you, you were like, what happened? It was such a nice day. <laughs> it was, it was a beautiful day outside. Well, you had a, a man technically kissing a, a dead woman. He was kissing a corpse and, 
I guess the gods of weather did not. Is that why they mentioned necrophilia in those reviews? I'm assuming that's it. We never see. There's not even an implication that they had sex, but I guess just a case I mean, is she, enough. She tries. I mean, she tries a couple times. He, he tells David Carradine, "Not did we, but how many times did we consummate the marriage?" Uh, the cops show up. I mean, they're the cops. They're going to find you sooner or later. And they finally have their Huckleberry. They have Franco, and they're about to put him in handcuffs and david carradine pulls like a, a shotgun on him and they get away because david carradine he's the know, guy from kung fu he, <laughs> you know gotta mess with him much like sandra bullock he's always packing and he's got his <laughs> shotgun and runs the police off uh the next morning a clearly hungover and sleep deprived <laughs> david carradine is uh summoned his colored horses uh to i guess just a field on the side of the highway and we think he's going to shoot one of them in the head. You audibly gasped, and well, I, I was right there with you. Yeah, he's standing there pointing the gun straight at Maggie, and he has all the horses, all the other ones, like, circled out so they can watch what's about to happen to Maggie. <laughs> well, it's it's that perfect example of a movie giving you what you thought you wanted and then tricking you because they, they end up doing something even better. Because, I'm not going to lie, I was thinking, okay, he needs to just put down this horse. Because she's clearly suffering. She's being painted blue <laughs> and and just used for entertainment purposes. That that horse is miserable. And he's just keeping her alive for his own sake. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you are faced with the actual event and you see him with the shotgun and the field, I was like, all right, well, you didn't need to show me. I was hoping that this would happen off camera. But thankfully, the movie goes uh, a different way, a more tasteful way. He says, I'm going to do something I should have done a long time ago. He cocks the shotgun, and then he just fires it into the air indiscriminately a few times, and the horses run off. It, they're it, off to... Except for Maggie. Yeah, she stays behind. What it's is the, the only time... It, there are a few instances of warning shots being fired, and this is the only time it's done properly in the whole movie. <laughs> into the air. <laughs> Away from the living things. This is easily David Carradine's Oscar clip. Right, he gets emotional. He sells it. He's a hundred percent in it, and uh, and it's short enough that you can fit it <laughs> before they announce his name or after they announce his name. Yeah, yeah. Maggie won't go, so he, you know, he he just is gonna ride her into the sunset. So Camille and Silas make it to Niagara Falls. We get a big shot of an Embassy Suites. Apparently, that's the only hotel by uh, Niagara Falls, and they go on the Maiden Mist, much like. Pam and Jim would do uh, subsequently following this. And again, I think you were on to something about the office writers. Hey, I don't think anyone saw this movie, so let's just completely steal the ending here. They're on the Maiden Mist. They're having a grand old time. Very vibrant colors here. Gave me like a Eternal Sunshine type vibe here. Well, with the, the wig. The I red mean, hair. And, yeah, yeah, and the, the, the Paramore wig is just eye-popping. And so he goes and takes a picture of Camille with her disposable or her, excuse me, her Polaroid camera. Doesn't he say like, I love you or something? They have a kiss or she says, she, says, she, she, she mouths, mouths it. it yeah. And she's hugging a teddy bear. Okay. Yeah. He got her a teddy bear and then he's come. Cause she says something like, I think I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he's come uh, a long way from where he was because now, whereas before he probably hated the quirk of her taking pictures in that Polaroid. Now he's the one taking the picture. Yeah. And so he takes a picture of her. Uh, turns around, I guess he asks a bystander if he'll take a picture of them, turns back around, Camille's gone. Did you think at this point that she'd never been there? Um, no, because then that would have made, like, so many other people crazy. <laughs> David Carradine. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> then you really would have needed the Joker like flashback where you see how it all looked <laughs> yeah. when, when she wasn't there. So he, Silas is he, he looks for her for a little bit, but then he just realizes, you know, where they are and what he came there to do. And that's crossover into Canada. And he begins his quest to do so. And he sees freedom about 100 yards away. And then he sees a little girl who reminds him of Camille. And at this point, he realizes he can't leave. So he turns back around and then he's greeted by her uncle, his parole officer. Let me see if I can get a name on this. Scott Glenn. Yeah, let me get the character name. Sheriff Foster. And he gives him a spiel about law, the the hard arm of the law and the real law. Doesn't he almost immediately pull his gun out? Well, he so he pulls his gun out. Points it at Franco. Then he, he tells jams him, it into his gut. Yeah. Then he tells him that uh, he's an officer of the law. The, the real law. law. <laughs> the law of love. The law of love. That's right. And, and then, then he hands, hands Silas the gun. And so Silas takes him hostage. And so um, the local yokels, Ed Lauder and his whole gang of misfits are on the, on the case here after Silas, excuse me. They basically corner him to a ledge and he's got this gun and there's fucking a dozen cops there that all have their weapons drawn. And as you mentioned, the, the warning shot a bit more uh, <laughs> dangerously executed here. I mean, that shit ricochets. It's, yeah. Uh, Not only should... <laughs> does the first one ricochet, the second one hits, hits Silas. <laughs> and so, yeah, the second shot hits Silas dead in the stomach or chest or what have you. Cause he's bleeding profusely and, uh, it's not quite a fever dream, but in the distance we see Maggie living out her last mission in life. Carrying, Red wig on. Yes. <laughs> carrying Camille straight to him. And then I thought this was when this was just a dream sequence, but it's not because everyone's reacting. The cops just kind of put down their guns and aren't really concerned anymore. With, At this point, I mean, they would have to. There's a fucking blue horse there. <laughs> with the girl that we thought was dead. So he jumps up on the horse with Camille and uh, she says something like, it was a great honeymoon. Yes. Yeah. And then they kiss. <laughs> they embrace in a way only uh, Hollywood can with they, a they huge open, mouth, open kiss. mouth kiss. Yeah. Just, that's just how you do it. Then they just ride it off on Maggie and Maggie, they get into a big barrel and just jump over the side of Niagara Falls. They just jump right into the mouth of the beast. They jump over the uh, the guardrail that protects the the... Uh, public and they just fall it's insanity but it's great because the movie keeps anchoring you by cutting to to close-ups reaction shots of scott glenn scott glenn has so many jiffable reactions in this movie <laughs> yes the biggest tragedy about this not being a a, a bigger hit is that those gifs probably don't exist they're not really oh, yeah. accessible. It, it's up to us to somehow produce them and uh once they jump in they disappear and a rainbow forms and then it starts raining rice. And in the la- the final line of the movie, Scott Glenn says, it's rice. God damn it, it's rice. It's rice. <laughs> <laughs> it's And then there's a freeze frame. And he looks at the camera and goes, Camille! <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. It is a freeze the, frame, you're right. Yeah, Jesus, Jones. The description of, of what happens in the last few minutes of this movie is just, it's crazy if you don't have the previous, you know, 85 minutes of build up to it. If you were just telling me, yeah, there's this James Franco movie where uh, he gets shot in the in the gut and then his zombie ex-wife or his zombie wife comes riding on a blue horse, they open mouth kiss and then they jump <laughs> over into Niagara Falls and then rice starts raining from the from the skies. <laughs> I'm going to need some context on that one, motherfucker. 
directed by Gregory McKenzie. <laughs> yes, sorry. I was... Well, no, I was gonna say like visionary, if I had to guess, visionary director <laughs> directed by Zack Snyder. Uh, no, because there was no music. the nudity was to. Uh... <laughs> I was about to say there was no music budget for this movie, and that's well. But I, I kind of love that they gave it its own identity because every time there was a new song, <laughs> all public domain music. <laughs> yeah, but then it, then you get that feeling that it was something that you knew, but you weren't sure how you knew it, and then eventually you realize, oh, because it sounds like a popular song. It's fucking from a commercial for like Zyrtec or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they just, you know, they, they play the, like, 30 seconds or whatever it is they're they're allowed, they're allowed to play before they have to pay for it. Just to make sure, you know, you don't get sued for copyright infringement. They just change that one note. Yeah. The old Vanilla Ice and uh, Under Pressure <laughs> trick. Uh, yeah, and okay, then... Be- and before before we wrap up this In memory part, of Shea Guevara, and then we hit the credits. <laughs> I, have a, I have a quote that I wrote down, and I have, like, I, I can't for the life of me think of who said it or what the context was but it just says here life is forever does that ring any bells for you guys they said that in the movie i i wrote it down i mean that sounds something like uh that cowboy bob would say i wonder if if that's like at the fair and with the horses yeah that's probably the happiest place they've been in maybe maybe it's part of the movie's magic that i can't remember who said it and and it's just a lovely sentiment actually it sounds like something that that woman that was uh that welcomed them into the state fair that's something that she would say she seemed like she drank the kool-aid yeah but she also was trying to keep a fair distance from them because they smelled so fucking bad (laughs) god this whole movie smells like (laughs) doo-doo well i think i know what uh what you're gonna say during real talk get to why eddie put us through this although i do understand what he was saying there are movies like this where you want to Make sure that you're not crazy and other people see him. All right. So, so let's, let's let's move this along. Let's rain the rice. Niagara Falls. Honey, he's on parole. He can't leave the state. Well, says who? The state. Well, then we'll keep it our little secret. She's the nice girl. He's the bad boy. And today. Don't screw this up. They'll be joined as one. Do your part. You, j- you just say yes, hun. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> no one thought they'd make it. <laughs> Until one wrong turn. <laughs> changed everything. Mill! There you are, Tiger. I thought I killed you. I'm not going anywhere. Except to Niagara Falls. Now. Something's wrong with Camille. Oh, is she okay? She wants to keep going, but something's wrong. Wake up time. Camille! That's a story, Morning Glory. She's falling to pieces. I could use some color. Look. Nice. He's holding it all together. Mrs. seems, uh, kind of tuckered. She's dead. Oh, yeah. When I haven't slept well, I can hardly get started. There's nothing wrong with me. Roy Rogers had trigger preserved after he died. Got 10 gallons of formaldehyde. Go. And everyone else. What'd you do to her? Is after him. What happens when we want to go back home? I'm going back home. Okay. From the Academy Award-winning producer of Million Dollar Baby comes a romantic comedy that proves. Any idea on those stains? I think it's formaldehyde. Sick. A lot can happen. Come on, it's their honeymoon. This is my honeymoon now. On the road to never after. 
on your shirt. It's a bullet hole. There's nothing wrong with just a, a itty bitty little hole in my shoulder. Two holes. James Franco, Sienna Miller, David Carradine. I had a great honeymoon. Me too. Camille. Niagara Falls is where people go when they're in love. And that's the real law. The law of love. And we're recording for Real Talk for Camille. What the fuck was that movie? Uh, Given its uh, narrow impact, limited impact, uh, there wasn't too much to do in the way of research for this. Uh, Eddie actually helped uh, supply what we could find in the way of numbers, which was the international gross for it, which was $631,318. Do you think that's including the $7 I spent to buy it? (laughs) I'd imagine so. What's Blockbuster's cut on that? (laughs) Uh, again, the director, uh, Gregory McKenzie, no other feature film to his name. This James Franco character, <laughs> not really much else for him after this. Definitely not this version of James Franco. Eddie, I think you kind of... You an explanation. <laughs> explained it in the first half. It was more of just, you had to sit through this so other people need to, too. Is that it? Kind of. It's just so weird that when people, I don't know... Like people should see it. People's people spend way more time on much more benign movies that are completely forgettable. And like, no matter what you think, like I, I know you're going to tell somebody about watching this at some point. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean I will, but I don't know that I would encourage them to watch it. No, unless they don't believe me, and then I'll say, "Well, you kind of have to watch it to believe it." Then, well, that, that's <laughs> when you start telling them about the end, and then they'll they'll pretty quickly come around and be like, "Oh, this is something I need to see." So were there any positive quotes? Uh, not around tomatoes. So I just uh, went to the tried and true letterbox, which has helped us out when yeah. we were. Uh, I've got some Amazon reviews. reviews if, if oh, we tremendous. also need those. Uh, I have I have three for from letterbox. There's only 25 reviews on letterbox. So this really Jesus. N- not a whole lot. I mean, and, and one of those, there's not even one for me because I, I don't go back and add stuff until I've watched it again recently. So you're going to log it. Oh, yeah, I'll yeah. be, I guess <laughs> you and I will be 26 and 7. Yep. Um, Jim, give it four stars. That's Jim Halpert. I was about to say, <laughs> thanks for the ending. Yeah. Thanks for the cheese. Uh, he says, wow, a romantic comedy with a plot point that I was definitely not expecting, which makes it much better than the typical films of that genre. You think he's referring to the fact that she's dead or the rice, <laughs> the blue horse? There's... I can't think I've seen a movie similar to this and I can't think of what it is. Another four stars rating uh, from Gradius. He says, yeah, I'm weirded out by myself for liking this movie. So he's conflicted. What is it like to like this movie? I wonder. (laughs) I'm guessing neither of us. Is this uh, the only movie you've seen? (laughs) Um, And finally, Georgia gave it five stars. I'm not a particularly emotional Keep person. Keep that shit in Kentucky. <laughs> uh, I'm not a particularly emotional person towards the film, but it makes me cry every time I look at Camille. Right. That was watch January 21st, 2020. That was just like, what, two days ago? Oh, it's like yeah. somebody heard that we were doing it on the show. <laughs> they, had to, they had to ramp up for it. Um, what, what do you have, Eddie? All right. Uh, just a, a couple of quick ones. There are at least four five-star reviews that I see where the review just says either love it or loved it. There's one from Shark Jumper that says five stars, happily ever after. 
This is a wonderful film that dares to go out on a limb with a premise that is engaging and magical. Didn't know what to expect and found myself caught up in these characters and their journey. Camille is one of those pictures that surprises and delights. Seriously, a lost film that should have should have had its day. Uh, you know, Shark Jumper is very serious going with picture for this uh, <laughs> cinema. But th- that that review is from August of 2009, so a little a little more recent. Um, December 17th, 2017. So somebody who I think is either probably just watched The Last Jedi or was about to also put this on and then reviewed it and said, outstanding film, can wait to watch it again. <laughs> That's pretty much all for the, the good ones. There there are a couple people referencing their love of James Franco. And of course, all of these reviews are from, from a time, you know, from pre-cancellation on James Franco. When was he canceled? Uh, when Disaster Artist was run, uh, ramping up its award season run. When everybody thought he was a shoe in to win Best Actor, I don't even remember if he ended up getting nominated for it. But I know he he was in the he was in the mix and he won a bunch of other awards, but uh, did the smart thing and didn't show up to claim them from most places. What was the cancellation over? Was he like me tooed? Yep. Okay. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Um, I forgot I was getting him mixed up with a uh, dead Affleck kid. <laughs> Casey. Casey Affleck. Was it like were the accusations severe, like Weinstein level, to the point where he'll never be back? Uh, we'll see. It, it wasn't from what I could tell. It was from what I read. It, it was mostly him taking advantage of of his celebrity, and especially uh, with like the the film classes he was teaching and trying to kind of force people into doing things they didn't want to do. Okay, so I mean, he, still, he will still never like, teach again. Yeah, still, yeah, still pretty bad, but not. I mean, if you're grading against Weinstein on the Weinstein curve <laughs> of the possibility of a comeback, if he makes proper amends and basically learns from what he did type thing. I mean, he he after after uh, the cancellation, he still shot one or two more seasons of the deuce. Well, so we'll see before said cancellation on November 14th of 2008. In fact, Franco was somehow. In the movie called Camille, there was a Thanksgiving release. Well, I mean, not uh, quite, it came but... out the from what a quick glance. Um, it came out the same day as Quas. That's Quantum of Silence. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's good. I remember I, I screened Quas. I, I built it, and so we must have not gotten Camille because I had not heard of this movie until. Uh, preparing for this so anyway yeah and when you watch as many fucking movies as we do you're going to come across weird one-offs like this even more so when you work in a movie theater work in the industry you're going to come across these there was some horror movie with michael madsen that i remember having to build and screen i can't remember what it was called but it was similar to this and that like i couldn't believe it existed and no one else knew (laughs) what i was talking about um but okay Let's let's start here. What 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 we'll start with you, Julio. What do you like about this movie, if anything? Uh I think that we all agree that it's not a good movie. And I've actually been trying to as we were watching the movie and then as we were doing real talk, or uh, I'm sorry, as as we were doing Contrast Corner, I was trying to figure out what is it that makes it not as bad as other things. Because I think if if nothing else, that's where the interesting conversation comes. <laughs> uh 
to jump to the end, basically. Is it worse than Christmas with the Cranks? Right? And I would say no. No. Because I guess I it's more still earnest. With this, I was like, hmm. At a few it's points. It's hard to be worse than Christmas with the Cranks. <laughs> yes, but Christmas with the Cranks that feels... Is categorically correct. <laughs> <laughs> when you're watching Christmas with the Cranks, it feels very calculated. And and this, it just felt like, you know, I think that they believed they were making a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just such a risky proposition to tell this kind of story, the the magical realism of it all. It just, if you if you have a misstep, then it just looks ridiculous. And I think that that's what happens here. <laughs> it's... I it, think that it's it comes across so silly. But if it was better made craft-wise, I think that maybe I could get into it. I mean, James Frank was just terrible. And it's like he's not yeah. even trying. And if you gave me uh, a, an actor He's that like was, a middle school kid trying to act like James Dean. Yeah, it's just in like a play and, you know. Yeah. He's like scrunching up his face in, in I mean, it's just like acting class 101 yeah. and then it's just I think Sienna Miller does much better. I, I think I think I think she's like genuinely good, not like amazing, but I mean I I think she's the best part of the movie. But she and one one thing, I don't know how we made it through Contrarian's Corner without bringing this up at all. But like if they if they cut her dialogue down in half by eliminating the word tiger, which <laughs> is what she refers to Silas as, like if she's not saddled with yelling out tiger, tiger, so much. Uh, you know, I I think she gets some some pretty good moments. Uh, of course, not really enough to like save the movie or anything, but something that's like you know th- that kind of gives you that sense. Like you know, their hearts. You know, you can you can sense that their heart is mostly in it. It's just not not clicking the way they're they're wanting it to. It looks like shit too. Like the movie looks bad, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we were jesting about. They probably blew all their budget on horse paint. <laughs> Uh, what's the the Simpsons thing where it's in the film industry if you need a cow you just paint spots on a horse (laughs) what if you need a horse you just tape a bunch of cats together (laughs) Uh, we jested about it in hashtag CC but like the lack of any real music in the movie (laughs) makes it seem so much cheaper it was just like they were like one step away from like Life is a country road. <laughs> like just these cheap ass. It's it, it's Muzak versions it of Can Muzak. You Feel the Love Tonight. Yeah. yeah, it's not good. It definitely accents that. And then all these just heavy handed, undeserved moments like their kiss at the state fair. It was. And then, of course, the biggest thing on all of it is like. He's like loving her now because she's dead. Like he's well, like he learns to love her, but it's or like he's he learns so... to accept her and and to let go. <laughs> Too his, late, bitch. His, she's his dead. Issues. Yeah, but he's so cartoonish at yeah. the beginning that I just don't buy it. That's the problem. If you had, it's not a bad setup that this guy doesn't want to marry her, doesn't really love her, and so he it worked for Drop Dead Fred. I think that if if you took that character with that conflict and had it played in a more subtle way where he's at least trying to look happy during the wedding yeah. and trying to be civil to her, yeah, but the, she still gets under his skin. There's so much hostility that it, it's just like, first, they, they never really do a, a good job of explaining why uh, why Camille is so into the into him other than right. like a crush or she just thinks he's attractive. But uh, There's that one throwaway line too. It's like, she's been in love with you as long as she can remember. Like, yeah, what? and and but from like early on, like 
I mean, I know he mentioned it in the first part, but like there was a while where I, I was wondering, like, has he even met her before this? And uh, and like it's it's one thing for Camille to just you know be infatuated with him, but it's another thing for for Sheriff Uncle to just like go along like with for everybody to enable her. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that if you bought into that relationship more, then maybe the rest of the movie is a little easier to to swallow, to go through, because the problem is that you don't want it to work out. Yeah. And so I don't care. <laughs> it, I, I don't care if if he's going to learn to love her, because I think he's a piece of shit to begin with. Yeah, it would have been yeah. better if Silas had died. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the wrong kid died. <laughs> It's exactly that because then you're like, well, fuck, she just did nothing wrong except love him, and she's the one that died, and he's the one that has to fucking learn now. And yeah, she <sighs> she has to die to teach him a lesson. Yeah, not good, man. No, uh, but baffling. Okay, so Sienna Miller is good from you know as much as she can be. You're grading on the Camille scale. Yeah, yeah, grading on the Camille scale, and then I think. Uh, you know, the old pros, Scott Glenn and uh, David Carradine, they do okay. Uh, Ed Lauder. They're just saddled with, with such ridiculous things to say. And, and right, but, but they're taking and, it seriously. Uh, yeah. You know, I'll commend it, that. It, it inadvertently makes it funnier. Though. Right, I agree. I, I laughed at most of their, their big moments. Oh, yeah, their big moments are... But, but at least... <laughs> this fucking Glenn reaction shots, man. Yep. <laughs> like you said, the pursed lips and like yeah. the welling tears. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at least they were not phoning it in in a way that... I don't know, Tim Allen, Dan Aykroyd, whatever, and, and Christmas the Cranks were doing it, you know? Uh, it's true. So I'll give the movie that. At least it it has some, it, it got some goodwill out of me because I, of that. How did they get James Franco in this? Well, I mean, come on. He, it, he would do, he like, he does any movie. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I'd have to count, but I bet there are at least 50 movies he's appeared in between. You know, you might be right. Between I might, that and I might he's be like Christopher this. Walken. Yeah, he. I mean, he really is. Like, he's in so much stuff. I might have dreamed that he had like a selective. Uh, no, no, he does not. I'm already just going through this. Yeah, no, he basically was just like, hey, or you know, if somebody just called him, he'd be Fuck like, I just tell me where to be. All right, so I don't need a script. I'm Silas. Give me a tat. <laughs> Let's roll. For after Spider-Man Two, he was in The Ape, The Great Raid, Fool's Gold, Tristan and His Old, Annapolis. The Wicker Man, Flyboys, The Dead Girl, The Holiday, and American Crime, Interview, Finishing the Game, Knocked Up, Spider-Man 3, Good Time Max, and In the Valley of Ela before making Camille. So I guess it's so weird. Yeah, he's an A. Camille listed before Pineapple Express? It is. Yep. That's weird because, well, I mean, it, Pineapple Express came summer out before. Release. Yeah. Um, summer of Franco. From what I, this movie was done in 2007. It's just it okay, was basically. Yeah, that- in the can, waiting to that makes sh- sense. Ship to theaters under the name <laughs> Ghost Wife, <laughs> Tiger. <laughs> Tiger. Uh, so I think my confusion was because he is an A lister. How they get him? But then Eddie, you're right. He just they just asked. Did no, whatever. He's just A lister where he'll appear in any on any list. He's the, Paul- the actor version of that pretty girl that nobody asks how to dance. <laughs> Because they're intimidated, but really anybody could ask and she would say yes. I remember Paul Britton when he, I think he was only on SNL for a season. He did a James Franco impression on a weekend update where he just said, I like having jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So 
the real question is mystery not, solved. Yeah, well, the real question is not well, how did they how get they, David Carradine. <laughs> you want to talk about somebody who will work on anything? <laughs> um, no, I think the real question is not how did they get Franco. But more like, how did Franco get any jobs after this? Yes. Because you watch this movie. Well, I guess Pineapple Express is the answer. <laughs> you know, and, and the fact that nobody really watched He's this. He's great but, in Pineapple Express. But yeah. yeah, this. He's so good, in fact, that uh, I remember that year, uh, some magazine, probably People or Us Weekly or, or 17 or something, was asking celebrities like for their favorite performances of the year, or, like Oscar snubs or something. And some, I remember somebody saying that uh, they thought James Franco should have been nominated for Pineapple Express. That sounds like a Tarantino opinion. Would you settle for Justin Long? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I mean, you have to see it to see how bad it is type thing. But If yeah, this was his first movie, he wouldn't have a career. <laughs> no. And yeah, he just, like you said, it doesn't, he doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing. Which is yeah, just like everybody. Yeah, there's so just the cast is, is like this is what happens. What happens when you have uh, no chemistry? This is the cost of lies. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I was trying to work up to a joke about me being bad at science, but I I couldn't think of anything. But man, there's just like nothing there between this this cast. Like the most probably the most like, carrying on the horse. That's it, well, <laughs> either that or when uh, Camille and her mom are talking about their butts together. It's a it's a movie that you kind of cringe watching. Yeah, but I can imagine as an actor, you get the script and you're like, man, this is going to be really weird. But if they pull it off, it will be memorable. See, that's the and thing. If they don't. Nobody's going to see. Nobody's going to see. It. <laughs> yeah. I think the way to pull this off with that same in keeping, you know, the majority of the script the same and everything is giving it a way more darker twinge because like they still try to maintain this like bubbly Jenna Elfman style, you know, late nineties romantic comedy. And it's like, okay, that's okay. Who, if you had to pick either a writer or director or both to, to do this movie, but make it, make it into something that works. Who are you picking? Lars von Trier. Um, I don't know. David Fincher, David Fincher, fucking David Lynch, David Lynch. That would be, that's that's a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was you mentioned it earlier um while we were watching the movie, but like Stardust era Matthew Vaughn was kind of interesting to me. But uh, a reunion that, with uh with Sienna Miller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you just recast Franco. Well, I mean it could just be bad direction. Yeah, I yeah. Feel, I feel like Franco could could have made this work if if there was somebody there to <laughs> if like, he gave a shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> it really looks like <laughs> he's there, not interested. There was somebody there to all. keep him in line or to wake him up. <laughs> I think the whole interesting thing too that's not broached at all is it would be far more fascinating if just he saw her, but like she's like interacting with people. Dude, I, I wrote down in my notes at one point and just everyone it, it's all in Silas's head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that would be a really bullshit ending, but like if the movie was just it all plays out, and then at the end, like after it's a hard it's, cut instead to of him the like freeze, lying on the on the side of the freeway, yeah, dying. and maybe just the rice rain <laughs> on his dead face, and then you freeze frame on that. There you go. That's life. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting ways to go about this, but the way they did was not it. Yeah, but now so. Even if this movie was perfectly executed, the idea that 
you're supposed to be rooting. I guess this is something that you would fix it if it was perfectly executed. But the idea that you should be rooting for somebody that's uh, in an abusive relationship to turn it around. It's it, it was something that also kind of bothered me, but not, it didn't bother me too much because I couldn't take the movie seriously. But if the movie was made just a little better to where I would actually be taking the story, uh, I guess, more seriously, then that would annoy the hell out of me. Yeah. That we are presented with this woman who's basically psychologically abused by her new husband. And the movie wants me to just buy into that. You know, and be happy when he turns around because what are you saying really? That oh, you're perpetuating that myth of oh, well, he's an asshole, but he can change. Yeah. If you if you wait long enough, if you're patient, if you're loving enough, then you can turn it all around. And that trope that we've talked about a lot here with the movies we've done that we've worked so hard to get away from of like the guy is right, and as the girl, you just have to change everything about yourself, <laughs> and then he'll he'll embrace you. Uh, yes. Yeah, the fact that you're dead is an inconvenience to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I gotta lug this body around. It stinks, Eddie. It is kind of you've something. rendered me mute with this it, one. It's, <laughs> I mean, it is kind of weird that Silas's, you know, arguably Silas's happiest moment in the entire movie is stealing formaldehyde with Cowboy Bob. <laughs> <laughs> That, that was sequence. okay. So that was that was weird. Well, not that scene, but the the whole David Carradine subplot. Now that we're in real talk, I really don't know how I feel about the fact that. Well, I mean, I know I feel kind of disgusted by the fact that he was keeping this this poor horse alive, just mm. for his sake, mm-hmm. and which is fine if that's a a plot point that it's gonna take you somewhere meaningful. But I don't know what to make out of his his exit from the movie. Yeah. Um, I'm just gonna ride this sick horse. <laughs> yeah, ride it till it dies. And then yeah, I'll walk home. <laughs> it, it also <laughs> just the silhouette of him healing it in the side. Yeah, <laughs> it, it gave me a flashback. Like I, I, somehow we managed to not get get this out of Alex at any point, but uh, he kept he's he's been making jokes about seeing Camille in the Borat voice, and uh, and the scene with the horses. Uh, almost broke me because it made me think of back to Borat because the way he's like pleading with Maggie to leave makes me think of when he when Borat is trying to to get his chicken to leave him and at first he's about to slit its throat and then he tells the chicken to go and live its life and the, the chicken won't leave. Yeah, he when he had the gun pointed at the horse's head, I was just like, good god. <laughs> I mean, in a more yeah, and his his cowboy Bob's line of like, I was hoping you guys would be asleep for this. <laughs> <laughs> like, imagine they were asleep and they're just awoken by the sound of a gunshot, and they yeah. come out and David Carradine's like splattered in viscera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you heard that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, a more interesting movie would have you questioning. If David Carradine was real, or if they were in purgatory, or if he was some... Man, you want to talk about a movie that's kind of similar to this? Not really at all, but just a little (laughs) bit. In the vein of still interacting with someone who's not ready to move on yet. Have you seen Ghost Town with Ricky Gervais? No, no. uh, Tremendous movie. He's not the dead guy. No. He can hear the ghosts, or he can see them? Uh, He's basically... I think he like temporarily dies and then he's brought back to life. And part of that is like he now has access to purgatory. And what happens is like people that die 
if they still had something left to do like with their life, they get stuck here until they have someone help them accomplish that. And so I kind of feel like that's what it was. Like she wasn't, she was around until she found true love's embrace or whatever. But I, it, I think it, it's my cheap way of saying watch Ghost Town because that movie's great. Because <laughs> it's better than Camille. Yeah, the, the explanation. percent. <laughs> the explanation as to why she's still alive when it turns out this is oh, it's just because I love you. That's also so. That's such bullshit. Okay, I mean, yeah, Frank. is that a hundred percent? Like when uh, Sheriff or Officer Loudon shouts. It's a hundred percent stupid, but that's why that's what makes him so smart. <laughs> they didn't even give that line enough time to ruminate. Of like, <laughs> that's such a good line, so funny. And then them riding off the horse together, and I guess it was the horse's time too. They all found each other at the right time. Right. If the horse came back, what happened to David Carradine? He, the horse outlived David <laughs> the Carradine. Horse, the horse killed him. <laughs> Did. <laughs> It just cuts the post credits as David Carradine <laughs> feasting on the body of the orange horse that got out. Uh, that would be great, though. The horse bucked off Carradine. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. <laughs> yes, this is an interesting movie. Definitely one of the more interesting ones we've done. I will tell people about this movie, but I in no good conscience could recommend this to anybody. If you're uh, Walmart 3 a.m., had a few drinks. No. It's on the $3 bin. Good luck finding it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if you want to see Camille, you have to come talk to me. <laughs> I honestly think the only reason someone would own this movie, aside from homeboys that gave it five stars, the, the real reason someone would own this is their uh, completionist, like Franco's. Franco or Cena oh, Miller. Yeah, you can go broke trying to be a Franco completist. <laughs> Maybe you're a David Carradine completist. Jesus. Gregory <laughs> McKenzie completist. <laughs> Done. Well, one of those would require a wall for your uh, a room, and the other one would just require like a small space. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's so weird to watch Franco's rise, fall, ups and downs. and Like even this, I mean, this was 10 years after Freaks and Geeks, and that, he he's great. So, like, you know he can act, so it's just so weird seeing him in stuff like this and be like, what, what are you doing, man? Yeah. It's not even phoning it in. It's, like, being actively bad. Yeah. That's what makes it perplexing. It's on par with his uh, his Oscar-hosting performance. I did not watch the ears. Him and Catwoman, right? Yes. Yeah. It was, it, it was just so awkward and less memorable than Camille. <laughs> Yeah, Camille. So what's what's your rating? Uh, F. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I don't mean, know if you're gonna be like F plus, maybe. That that thing they only do in comedies where they they give you the F plus or yeah. F minus to really <laughs> stick it to you. Yeah, F. It's it succeeds in no area. So the, does Christmas with the Cranks get F minus or what does that get? Oh shit! I guess. It's- <laughs> F minus. It's your game now, Doctor. <laughs> Christmas with the Cranks is in a class all its own. Letters do nothing for it. File it under G for garbage. <laughs> no, Christmas with the Cranks is in a class all its own of badness. This is just this is just a run of the mill bad movie. Um, See, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's a run of the mill bad movie because it's it's bad and <laughs> I guess it's. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that or with the comparison, but I, I don't feel like run of the mill bad is. I mean, I'll give it one and enough. a half stars again, because the earnestness, I think, 
deserves some recognition. I don't think that any of this was done with ill will. It was just that they just couldn't pull it together. They, you know, save for James Franco, who I really, it, to me, it, feel, it feels like he's not interested really <laughs> in yeah. making this happen. But everybody else is, uh, feels like they're doing their best. It's just that there's, they don't know where they're going. One and a half. I don't remember how much I gave Christmas with the Cranks. I hope I gave it half. <laughs> but what's I mean, what's your score, Eddie? What's going to be I your would, letterbox? I would probably do one and a half, maybe two, but I would definitely put the heart by it. <laughs> I, it's, this movie has amused me, you know, far more. It's it's given me far more enjoyment than I ever could have imagined when, uh, you know, 12 or 13 years ago that evening when I was like, I guess I'm going to watch Camille tonight, whatever that is. <laughs> I don't Here suppose. Here I am still talking about it. I don't suppose That's the fair. Blu-ray comes with a commentary. I mean, we can find out, but <laughs> uh, I have, I've never explored the features. What movie is it where the... I'm imagining Franco recording like 10 minutes worth of commentary and they just loop it. I think it's I want to say it was like the first DVD of Total Recall. Arnold did commentary, but they just he, loop it. That's... He only did like 40 minutes. Uh, I, I hate when you can tell that the when it's the commentary is like three separate tracks that they're put together. So people are not really in the room. They're not watching the movie together. And it just the whole thing feels very disconnected. Uh, I think Spider-Man 2 has one of those. Yeah, Julio, you gave Christmas with the Cranks a half star. Proud of myself. There you go. Uh, yeah, the Jackass movies have my favorite commentary tracks because it's like all the guys in it, like just sitting in a recording studio and they start off like commenting on the movie, but then they just like progressively get more and more drunk and just start fucking with each other. It's pretty entertaining. Anyway, we'll have to check Camille to see if that commentary tracks on there or if that blooper reels on there. <laughs> Carity falling off the horse. <laughs> <laughs> the horse like tripping and falling. Can't you give me a fucking almond? <laughs> Just like the extended scene of him painting his horses. <laughs> Camille. I heard you paint horses. <laughs> Frank, what kind of person are you? The kind that paints horses. <laughs> so I guess from uh from the bottom of the barrel oh. to I guess renowned. Yeah, we saved this. We mentioned it on the Watchmen episode since Eddie was going to be on, and he's a large proponent of uncut gems. We were going to kind of use that for this. Where are you going? Late night event. Yeah, okay, sure. I want to talk to you. Just sit down and we don't have to do it here. I made a crazy risk to gamble and it's about to pay off. Howard, where's the money right now? You said I got till Monday. Today is still Monday. Is it too late? I'm begging you, just give me another shot. Are you serious right now? Who's the girl living in your apartment? What'd you say? Oh, we all have a face. You're taking my money all over town, placing bets. Oh! Take them out and show ourselves. You like the way things are going now? Get the kids out of the house. <laughs> To win, right? This is no different than that. Black Joe Power. This is me. This is how I win. Uncut Jams. Yes. Alex Mattis went to the movies. Mm-hmm. Did you go solo or with somebody? I went solo. I got the super nachos and I sat there and I watched <laughs> Uncut Gems. Oh, baby. Yeah. That sounds good. Oh yeah, it was it was a hell of a time. It was a pretty sparsely populated theater. What time? Did you go in the morning or no? I went at night. Was it, was it the big auditorium or the small one? It was a small one. Uh, 
because I just saw it recently. I think it, it was the week the theater was losing it. Yeah. In fact, I know it was. But anyway, yeah, man. And then kind of full circle, the draft house did a screening of Good Time, so I went and saw that again. I, like I posted on Twitter and Facebook, I think I still prefer Good Time as I think it's the better movie, but I still think there's so much greatness to Uncut Gems, and I've put over Good Time so much on here, so we're not going to talk about Good Time. We're going to talk about Uncut Gems. The next few years, until the Safdie brothers come up with a new movie, it's just going to be you bringing up Uncut Gems over and over the way that you brought up Good Time over we and should, over. We should make Correct. Alex watch that one Safdie brothers movie that we saw on movie that we That's not like. good. <laughs> yeah, that's really not good. Which I, one? It was called like The Pleasure of Being Robbed or something like that. Yeah, it was not. It, I don't it doesn't feel like it's by them, really. My understanding is they made, I think, three or four movies before Good Time, and but it wasn't yeah. until Good Time that because they got Robert Pattinson, someone actually gave them like a check and was like, all right, here, make what you want, that they were really able to see their vision come to life. And I think that's even more clear in Uncut Gems because I think they were obviously given a bigger budget for this because Good Time uh, had its following and then... They're like, forget Pattinson. We want Sandler. We want Sandler. And you had the whole entry. I mean, I was in from the, the first trailer. I was just like, holy shit, yes. And um, I mean, I'm not telling tales at recess here. I think we all agree. Would have been perfectly content with Sandler getting a Best Actor nomination. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it would have been fine uh, if nothing else. But I think that's it. I think it's the novelty of it. I think it's um, Adam Sandler Oscar nominee. Yeah. Because I'm not, I mean, he proved he's capable of it. I'm not entirely sure that we could expect to see that again ever. It's the well, I mean, it feels like he does it from time to time. He'll do right. I think Punch Drunk Love was the first time. He's kind of picking up because I mean, this is just two years after he did the the Meyerowitz stories, where he was really good in that. Yeah. A lot less intense than in this movie. Yeah, you know? and he so. had that. Uh, not that this is the same as acting, but he had his his Netflix stand up special that was pretty good, also. Yeah, and he had that. I've told this story before, but that interview with Letterman ten years ago or something, where I just kind of gained an appreciation for him because he basically just he talked about he knows where his bread and butter is, like what is going to make him money, and he's doing the. Uh, I guess the McConaughey thing too of he has the the luxury now if he has fuck you money so if he does want to even if this bombed and he still wanted to do it he can do it and that's fine. Robert Pattinson bringing him back around he was a little bit different in that like his first ten movies made him enough money to never have to work again <laughs> in his life and he's like well I'm gonna go try this shit now. But anyway, Uncut Gems uh, violates the Mattis rule by like 40 minutes. It's like two hours and 10 minutes. but Yeah, it's got a beastly runtime, but But it it still somehow remains so tense throughout it. And it's a uh, It's weird because I've never... Emotion. Like, the first two times I watched it was on a screener at home. And I, I didn't feel the intensity of it that much. And even when I saw it in, in a theater, I, it... I mean, I guess I felt it a little more, but um, I, I guess I was just into the story. I, I know the story is not complex at all, but I was just, you know, I, I just along for the ride. So I was I was never I, I never felt like the intensity that a lot of people mention. Well, a lot of that comes from the aesthetic and mainly the, the music that the Safties used to accompany things. That was seeing uh, Good Time Again. And then also uh, this like in a theater specifically, like the way those like 
ringing and those tones kick in heavily in the yeah. music they select, that, that'll really... It can be very jarring. Yeah, they really don't give you much time to catch your breath. That's the thing. The way it's put together, like cut together, and, and you, know, you have the constant overlapping conversations and just the Sandler intensity to begin with. So it was, I, I definitely felt that. My my issue with it, and I mean, I'm going to put the spoiler tag on it so we can just actually freely discuss everything that happens. But to me, my problem with Cut James, which I loved uh, overall, but I, I had, I reached a point in the movie where I would I felt like, Sandler wasn't really facing any consequences for every time that something went wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, this comparison is with Good Time because I-, I was coming from that. In Good Time, I felt that anytime that something went wrong, it really felt like things had gotten worse for Robert Pattinson. Here, anytime that something went wrong, Sandler was able to kind of bounce back really quickly mm-hmm. and just keep going. And it... After a while, it just kind of I it made me lose interest because I was like, okay, well, it doesn't matter what happens, you know. It's like the guys that he owes money to, uh, they're not really gonna hurt him, you know. They took his his clothes off, they stuck him in the trunk. Uh, so did that make you enjoy the ending? Oh yeah, so much. There's, <laughs> I think the ending makes up for it, uh, and I think in retrospect, if I rewatch the movie, knowing how it ends, it's gonna help me get through that also. Uh, just knowing that eventually. Uh, he faces consequences. Eventually, you know, something goes too wrong to where he there's no bouncing back from that. But a movie that's that long, like two, you know, over two hours, when there's a chunk of the runtime where I was like, just I need something to happen instead of him just spinning his wheels. You know, I, uh, there's a lot going on, but there wasn't a lot moving forward. Kind yeah. of uh, that kind of got on my nerves. I don't know, a it bit. felt like I mean, I, I like that. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, I, I guess um, I, I never really had that feeling. That I can remember, be, just because the way the way he was putting it off, it, it felt more like he was putting off the consequences by digging himself in deeper. And so, like I guess in my mind, I was like, "It's gonna happen." And and the 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 one guy who just threatens, or he tells tells Howard like three or four times that he's gonna kill him. He's <laughs> like, "Eventually, it's gonna happen." And so it was just a matter of waiting to see like how exactly it happened. And I, I really like the ending, uh, not just because he, he faces the consequences, but it, um, it it felt I don't not not poetic, but I, I don't really know how to use the term poetic in a way that makes me sound smart. But uh, I really like that the whole movie is just is just chaos. It's Howard like just chasing everything. And then it's like he finally went like the second he finally thinks he's in control of everything and has everything in place, then he's shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you could make an argument also that it wasn't going to stop there. Oh, it definitely was. I think the movie just shows you that his personality, the way that he is, means that he's never going to settle for, oh, this is the final score. Now I no. finally. Oh, made yeah. It. No, it, it made me think a lot of um, it's going to make me sound like such a. A frat boy with the going Please. with this reference, but uh, <laughs> it, it's like it's like in the Dark Knight when the Joker is just like bouncing around talking to Batman and, and tells him uh, that he's he's like a dog chasing cars and he wouldn't know what to do if he caught one. And it's <laughs> like, well, in that metaphor, you would get run over and get killed, and that's basically what happens to Howard when he he finally catches his car. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you could maybe make the argument that uh, his girlfriend could maybe. You know, just steer him into the path of a normal life. Steer me anywhere, (laughs) which is why, (laughs) like, I'm. We have money, and we're together. All right, I think we're good. (laughs) Yeah, we're good. 
Uh, yeah, and I did like the ambiguity too of you know she doesn't know what happened to him, but just the way it's kind of presented, you don't really know as a viewer if she was even going to go back to him anyway. I believe that I she, she that she would, but when he first sent her over there, I wasn't sure. I thought that maybe the movie was going to end with him winning and her taking off with the winnings, mm. <laughs> and then you know he'd be yeah. screwed. No, uh, somebody somebody shared a screen grab. I I'd have to check the movie again to to confirm it, but they they shared a screenshot of of um, the last like the last text that he sends her, where he's he's telling her to go. And if you look in her phone, she still has him listed as Howard with a heart next to his name. <laughs> uh, and if she was if she was going to bail on him, I think by that point it would have changed. No heart. No, no heart. <laughs> and, you know. It would have been boss man. <laughs> boss man. <laughs> we, Sucker. <laughs> we talk about Joker specifically and also just these movies that hold your hand way too much. It is so refreshing of their filmmaking. Uh, this particularly of it's this universe they just drop you dead in the middle of and you got to keep up and yep. you're going to figure out kind of what happened before you got there a little bit throughout the way but i think it's uh it's a very refreshing style of filmmaking and you know it's certainly not for everyone and the ending got me like i wasn't surprised but like it was so abrupt the way he gets shot <laughs> that i was just like oh shit and then his brother-in-law gets shot yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my sister said it was, she compared it to Billy Costigan. I didn't think it was that traumatic, but it was, uh, it was pretty intense. I think that you feel worse when Leo, when Leo gets it. Oh God, yeah. 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 Um, and Julio and I talked about this a little bit, Eddie kind of circling in on it. Uh, Kevin Garnett had no acting experience previous to this that you're aware of, did he? Right. Yeah. I thought he was money. Dude, he's, he's so intense, but he's. Yeah, the it's it's like the first time I think when he he sees the opal from, or that Howard shows him, and he's just got this like orgasmic intensity as he's like fondling it <laughs> yeah. and telling telling Howard how badly he needs it, and it it was kind of creepy. Like he almost needed to get a room. <laughs> uh, and it's already been memed to death, but that scene where Howard does the "This is how I win" that's such an awesome <laughs> speech that he gives. Oh, yeah. It's tremendous. Um, uh, Pretty much every meme and, and gift from Uncut Gems is a winner. The the intensity hit its apex for me. Like my heart was actually my heart rate increased during the auction scene. I was just like, and you got poor old Judd Hirsch. There. I was about to bring up Judd Hirsch because <laughs> I was laughing so hard. See, I wasn't. I I found it really funny in a good way. I wasn't laughing at the movie. I was laughing with the movie because they kept cutting to him and his reaction shots were just so funny. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was feeling the tension, but just the idea. Because by then, I had completely turned on Sanders. You know, I've gotten through. Bernie? I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hashtag Beto. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I went through the stages of first being with him and wanting him to succeed. And then kind of getting tired of him and resenting him because there were never any consequences to then like the next stage in enjoying the movie was like, well, now I'm just going to laugh at everything that happens. Every time it goes wrong, I'm just like, well, fuck you. I, yeah. At some point you're going to uh, face the consequences. Uh, and then of course the genius of the movie is that for the third act, it turned me around again and I was rooting for him to win the bet. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, during the auction, I was like, yeah, this is hilarious. I just, I, it's crashing and burning. It's going to crash and burn. And I'm going to enjoy it. I course. love the prelude to it also when he's just trying to get, the price for his opal raised and he's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. taking the inserts out yeah. <laughs> he's such a fucking scumbag it's 
you know, people like my dad, that's his issue with good time is, uh, he's like the main character is not a likable person. I'm Ooh. like, I've seen that comment about Sandler on this They're at one. least interesting. That's my point is like, if that's what you need to enjoy a movie, then this isn't just going to be for you. But it's like such an interesting story. And you find things along the way that are, I mean, I don't think the redemption was as high in this as Good Time. But like the the ending, it, it does fill you with just like, play with matches, <laughs> man. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I I was happy that because I'd heard I was trying to stay in the dark before I watched the movie, but I had heard buzz about uh, Julia, you know, the Fox, Julia Fox, and for a good chunk of the movie, she's not doing anything really, you know. And I was like, man, she's just here for eye candy. I mean, I'm sure, you know, she's nailing her scenes, but there's really not much for her to do. And then when you get to the third act, I think that's really when she mm-hmm. part yeah, of it she is gets just that uh, good, that good, like long breakup scene outside the club after. After Howard fights the weekend and they get yes. kicked out, and then oh, there's that long panning she, shot of them. Yeah, yeah. And, and like she's going with him to the taxi, and then he's walking back, and then some some girl from the line like tries to heckle her, and she like turns around and shuts her down and goes back to the club. But yeah, I think that the just the turnaround where she basically sort of forgives him, and then just takes on this mission to go there. I, I, they just gave her so much to do in that last part of the movie that then she won me over i was like okay i see what they're talking about it's not just that she's hot it's just that yeah. she she can actually you know hold her own and the uh the woman who wrote let it go or performed let it go excuse me Adina Menzel. there you go yeah she has oh, man, she's she's really good she has that you know no pun intended the ice queen scene where <laughs> yeah. he like begs her to take a take a take him back oh that's brutal and oh, she, yeah she's just like i don't like if i could have never met you i would and he's like, wish. if you you can hit me, it'll make you feel better. And she like acts like it and starts laughing. She's like, I don't even want to fucking touch you. <laughs> yeah. Just oh, like man. ices him, dude. It's great. Yeah. It's a hell of a watch. Uh, I was going to say it's a good time. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. it. It was kind of everything I was hoping it would be. And definitely goes to show, you know, Sandler, it's not it, he's not a fluke. He's not a, he's not a fraud. He, he he's good at his profession. He just he it, he shows that he knows exactly what he's doing. Which yeah. I mean, we knew, but it makes fucking. We've talked about this before. What's the Judd Apatow movie? Funny People. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's like the story of that. You know, <laughs> short of him getting cancer, it's, it's kind of come to life. Of uh, do this shit because it makes me money. And but yeah, you watch this like that scene where he just completely breaks down and starts crying. It's just like this. This guy is like top notch. He knows what he's yeah. doing. It's uh, it's cool to see. Definitely recommend Uncut Gems. So when they uh, seal of approval, when they pulled the Safdie brothers over to the MCU, are you gonna watch their movie? Or, or are you gonna protest? I'm to think it? of what here, what like character they would make the, the Punisher. <laughs> I guess maybe, dude, a Punisher movie by the Safdie brothers <laughs> be ridiculous. What was the last Punisher movie? Was that Warzone? Yeah, but then they had the Netflix show, so there's been a bit of a renaissance. All right. So that was Uncut Gems. That was Camille. Uh, Uh, What was your your rating for Uncut Gems? A. I feel like if I give that an A, then I have to give Good Time an A+, but I feel like they're both so, like high level movies for especially what I enjoy. So and a who gets my highest recommendation. I need to watch good time again. Cause I, I remember enjoying it. Wait, Robert Pattinson was actually like, not, not to humble brag, 
you know, being, <laughs> being in the, the Austin Film Critics Association at Robert Pattinson was he was my top pick for best performance that year mm-hmm. on my ballot. But I need to watch the movie again because I don't remember how it ends. It's good stuff. Yeah, I I said it on Twitter. I, I think that Good Time is the better movie, but Uncut James has a better ending. Mm-hmm. So I think they balance each other. I think I gave like each four stars or maybe four and a half. But Good Time uh-huh. has horrorcore rapper Necro in it <laughs> who plays the angry acid dealer that wants to kill Robert Pattinson. Um, all right. So that covers the safety talk and Camille. Uh, so for our plugs, our regular plugs, the festive years provide our opening and closing tracks. Opening, uh, excuse me, opening is last stand. Closing is summer of 99. Our fearless logo creator. Hans Rothieser. Uh, he did our logo. He does comics. He writes. He has two podcasts. One in English called Living in Peru. That's on iVox. And one in Spanish called Nacion Combi. That's about all things Peruvian. Living in Peru is about immigrants to Peru. The You can find Nacion Combi in any podcatcher. And you can contact Hans at mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S or on Twitter at mildemonios. Uh, or you can visit his website, mildemonios.pe to check out all his work. Uh, but he'll do logos for you. He'll do comics for you. He'll just tell you that your opinions about movies are wrong. It's all sorts of things. Shit. We've been recording Buckshot recently. So my only plug, uh, my buddy Chris Lemchi had me on his podcast earlier today, his podcast, What's My Line? Uh, we'll have a link to his Twitter account and his podcast uh, in the description below. But good dude. Crazy guy. God bless him. Living out in L.A. now. <laughs> he, and I mean that. It, I, I tell him that to his face constantly. I mean that in the best way possible. But um, talks about life of a um, pursuing actor. Talks about wrestling, movies, all that good stuff. So be sure to check it out. Aside from that, uh, Malcolm in the Middle is on Hulu, so go for it. Eddie, have you seen anything, read anything, played anything recently you'd like to recommend to the masses? Has he seen anything? How many movies did you watch in 2019? Uh, Per Letterboxd, I I was at 343 for the year. Uh, My my only real plug is uh, top 10 lists. I I really enjoyed reading everybody's top 10 lists from 2019 and especially the decade. Nice. Do you have anybody in particular that you do you feel like you agreed with the most or that really... uh, at this point I've looked at so many that I don't I, I can't say that I really have because I mean they, they've all there's like a general consensus around some movies so I, I mainly I, I mainly get the, the most out of it when I see people pick more more uh, unique choices or, or the like unique choices that I also have that I don't see pop up anywhere. Yeah, I'm kind of burned out on on top ten uh, of the decade slash 2019 list because of that. Because there's just basically I don't know 30 movies that yeah. are getting picked mm-hmm. over and over. And if uh, if the person making the list has a very uh, specific way of expressing their opinion, then that's cool, and I can really get into it. But a lot of it sometimes it feels like oh, I'm hearing everybody say the same things about the Tree of Life or about yeah. you know, the Social Network. Um, yeah, I, I look I, mainly the one it's the the ones I get the most out of, of course, are the ones that where people are actually like explaining their picks or right. Not not the people that are just posting links to a letterbox list where I'm like, OK, cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh, you also thought Moonlight was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you saw that. 
<laughs> Justice for Never Let Me Go. Best movie of the 2010s. You heard it here. Uh, have you seen it, Alex? No. Oh, it's uh, Andrew Garfield. Yeah, yeah. Andrew Garfield. Pre Spider Man. Uh, uh, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Kira. Kira Knightley. It's a good movie. Domino Gleason. <laughs> yeah. Took forever for me to watch it. Uh, and Eddie would bring it up like every year, I think. Finally did it. I'll uh, do my due diligence to see that. Hey, it's at 69% of Rotten Tomatoes. Nice. Right. <laughs> uh, I've never thought about bringing it to one of these to make you watch it because I couldn't. I don't know if I could bring myself to badmouth it even in jest. <laughs> it's one of those. It's I really no don't Camille. have a. <laughs> I don't have a, a a specific plug. I've been watching. I've been doing my Oscar catch up. Uh, I think my plug is for this this time we live in, where you can watch most things now. Like you can catch them like streaming somewhere. You know, you may have oh, to yeah. rent them uh, from Amazon Prime or get them from Redbox. Basically, I mean, the idea it didn't used to be this way, uh, young kids, where you'd get the Oscar nominations and you're like, all right, well. I can watch what came out in theaters and that's about it. Yeah, I can either see what's still in theaters or I can go to Blockbuster and hope (laughs) it's still there. Yeah, now it's just like pretty awesome. I mean, there's some things that I just don't have access to, but for the most part, like most of the things you can find either Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime uh, or, you know, rent off iTunes. That's crazy that, you know, it's like we're living in the future and we've kind of like take it for granted. You know, it's like before I complain about the one or two things I can't get, mm-hmm. I was like, I'll take a step back and just be happy that I have, I can watch pretty much like each of the, all of the documentary nominees, Yeah, you know, at home. Yeah. Most of them like already included in a subscription I already paid for. So You can it's, also watch on Amazon at a sneak preview of my late top 10 list of 2019. You can watch The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Best movie of 2019. It's an Amazon Prime? Amazon Prime. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, best non-parasite movie. Best American movie of the year. <laughs> best non-parasite movie. I, I actually think I, I'd have to watch it again, but it's like they're one and two for me. But right now I'd say I like uh, Last Black Man a little more, but can't go wrong either way. And, and Parasite's not currently available to stream. Boo. You can buy it, I think, on, but you can't rent it. Or if you know me, you can come watch the screener with me. <laughs> Hello. And look, but you can't touch. <laughs> Is that it for you, Julio? That's it. All right. A general plug for streaming. There you go. It's good. The movie. They're good. <laughs> the plug. 2020. The year. All right. Eddie, as always, a pleasure having you. We appreciate it. Uh, I, I'll ask you kindly and abruptly to get this movie out of my house now. <laughs> Only after we check the special features. (laughs) But uh, that'll do it here for another episode of Us with the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. We will catch you next time. What are you all hoping wins best picture? Or do you really have Parasite? Okay. I mean, of the of the nominees, I think Parasite is I, I mean I, for the for quality and just like the significance of it, I think Parasite winning is is the 
the best outcome. Yeah, I think that I'll probably be rooting for Parasite, but just as far as I think the out of that lineup, the one that I have the most love for is uh, Jojo Rabbit, which Eddie didn't like. That's that's your boy that directed Thor Ragnarok. Mm. Making an original movie, Alex, the, the kind that you like. I, it, <laughs> Actually, I think it's based on a book, but still. It would still. be very difficult to be worse than Thor Ragnarok. So, <laughs> uh, I've heard mixed things about Jojo Rabbit. I mean, like with all those movies, I'd like to see him. But just prepare for the Joker sweep. I, was nah, talking, I, 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 don't I don't think. think it, outside of Best Actor, I don't feel like it's really a lock for much else. Unless, like, I guess the big surprise, like, early on will be if it's. If it, I guess it seems like it has a a pretty good shot at best score, but if it starts picking up like editing or cinematography, then then we're in like real trouble. Yeah, it's it's clear it's it's finally, adapted screenplay. Finally, yeah. the Academy just wanting to fawn over a superhero movie or a quote unquote superhero movie. Yeah, I've, I've you know come to accept the inevitability of of Walk. He, he's you know he's having his Thanos moment there, so. <laughs> Um, I mean, I would much rather see somebody else win Best Actor just just off this performance. But uh, yeah, I, I'll do the mental gymnastics of well, it was his career achievement Oscar. But yeah, anyway, I was talking to Reed about your Oscar party, and we were like, yeah, we'll uh-huh. go. And he, he's like, because we have to work the next day. He's like, depending on how late it is, you know, we we'll, might have to leave early. And he's like, but if we're in the midst of a Joker sweep, I want us to all to be together for that. <laughs> Yeah, we just need yeah. to reassure each other. <laughs> yeah, all right, it's either going to end like like last year seeing seeing Green Book win at the end, or a couple years before where we get the Moonlight style upset win and, and get the like the legitimate uh, or closest to legitimate best option winning. Gotta put uh, Warren Beatty again up there, or he'll say the winner is Joker. Nope. <laughs> no, no, Parasite. They, just, they should just start. <laughs> just kidding. Just, Uncut gems. No, just start with Joe. <laughs> Joe and watch watch Todd Phillips and Taika Waititi both bounce up. <laughs> oh, shit. Joe Parasite. 